Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of the Ringside Nutrition Podcast with me, your host, registered sports nutritionist, Jack Coke. In this podcast series, I'm talking to expert guests who work in the combat sports field, including academic researchers, performance nutritionists, SNC and mobility coaches, exercise physiologists, and trainers and coaches themselves. I'll also be chatting to current and ex-fighters to find out more about their approach to nutrition and their reflections on making weight and the tools which they use to help them perform at their best. Now, before I introduce my guest on today's episode, I just wanted to say a big thank you to everybody that continues to tune in and listen to the podcast. If you haven't already, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And you can now find little YouTube clips of each episode over on my YouTube channel. Just plug in my name to YouTube, Jack Coke. On today's episode of the podcast, I'm joined by David Stash. David is currently working as a performance nutritionist with some of the UK's elite boxers, such as Josh Taylor at the MTK Performance Centre alongside head coach Ben Davison. David has also worked with the likes of Kel Brook and Tyson Fury in the past, helping them not just make weight, but gear them up to perform at their best on fight night. We chatted all about what it takes to become a world champion, why performance is what matters, not just solely making weight, how to get those 1-2% to advantages over an opponent, and how data from metabolic and physiological testing can and should be used to create a personalised nutrition strategy. This episode is a must to listen if you're a fighter or a practitioner. So enough talk, let's get to it. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the Ringside Nutrition Podcast. Today I'm joined by performance nutritionist David Stash. David, thanks for taking the time out of your busy schedule to jump on the podcast. How are you coping in uh, lockdown 3.0? um i'm enjoying it at the moment it's not too bad um a little bit of isolation um doesn't do me any harm gets gives me a bit of a chance to catch up on some other work bit of reading um bit of learning and uh and yeah just enjoying the slower pace i'm sure it's all going to be a bit crazy um once we're released out of all of this come march april may 2025 whatever year we're going to be out of it but yeah i'm sure i'll be bored in a few ones but i'm coping all right at the moment yeah, so what uh, I got you on because I wanted to talk to you about high performance sort of nutrition coaching and, and high performance in, in boxing and supporting elite fighters because that's kind of like your primary sort of audience who you work with. For the guys listening who might not know much about you because you kind of hide in the shadows a little bit, um, what's kind of like your background into, into nutrition and how did you get into working with boxers? Oh, so I'll try and keep a short story version of this one, but I can sometimes waffle on. Um, but I um, got really interested in physique type um, training and nutrition in my early 20s. Um, I have a bit of like a sponge-like character when I start to learn about something. I just want to learn everything and soak it all up. Um, started working with bodybuilders, um, then decided to switch from my degree in events management, finished that, and then started to study nutrition um, at degree level. Um, and was working with bodybuilders and, and, and thought that they were a bit too high maintenance and they didn't get paid enough, so they didn't pay me um, too well. So it was more of a passion. But what, I, what that helped me do is start to realise like just how important nutrition is um, in those final weeks of preparing for a bodybuilding competition. Um, I was then, I'd always been interested in um, combat sports, so I'd done a bit of Thai boxing. I was at the time doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Um, just because I like to roll around and, uh, and, and get beaten up. Um, 
And I was talking with a couple of guys who were competing about how they were making weight. And obviously I started to speak to them about like my background in nutrition and how I work with bodybuilders. And I started to see the red flags of what they were doing. And just from there, started to offer my services to them just as a general advice. Um, and then from there, the different gyms that I train that I start to speak to other fighters and it just kind of snowballed from there. Um, I had a supplement shop in Sheffield, uh, which we opened in April 2013. And we had Kelbrook come down to do the, the opening. So being a Sheffield lad, we wanted him down. Um, and then I, I started working with Kel, worked with him for a couple of fights, I think three fights. Um, and then from there, it just kind of further snowballed. So I'd, I'd worked with a few hundred different fighters from around the UK. I was working in, in, through gyms in London, through to through to Scotland, but just, it was very different back then. Things were done on forums, not Facebook and Instagram. <laughs> so uh, it was very much all word of mouth, uh, which I preferred. Uh, didn't really have to market myself. My work just kind of brought more work in. Um, stopped working with bodybuilders because they're just uh, very hard work. And again, there's, there's no real money in that. And whilst I'm not money driven, I kind of felt like I'd achieved what I needed to achieve. Um, and it's all good and well getting someone to look good on stage for a five-minute posing routine, but it's very different to get someone through a, you know, a, a three times, um, a twelve times three-minute round uh, for a, for a world title fight, and, and to really put it on the line and see what type of training they do, and it just kind of pulled me in. Um, and since then, I've I've had a few times where I've thought like, is it really for me? Um, but having always been a boxing fan and combat sports fan, like you know, like ideal clients would have been like Naz back in the day again being a Sheffield lad it would have been brilliant to it with him um would have been awesome to do some testing on Frank Bruno looking at his physiology back in the day so yeah I've just always had an interest in it from from my dad sat down watching boxing through to learning about nutrition and using bodybuilds and seeing you know the differences that can be made at like a real cellular level when you're really making changes to someone preparing for a show and the you know some of the nuances that you go through so then how does that work with fighters who need to be both the lightest but strongest and fittest um for, for come fight night it just like i say it just kind of snowball from there really yeah it's always the way it always seems to be a, a snowball effect of yeah and then it just goes from there with the whole nutrition for performance i think a, a misconception is that a lot of the you see the photos like on Instagram, not forums and stuff these days of the fighters weighing in um, and, and they look shredded or they look, you know, in shape, quote unquote, in shape. What's yeah. kind of like your philosophy? You touched on it there about performance. What's kind of like your philosophy, David, when it comes to when it comes to nutrition for, for combat sports? Um, well, I guess I'll, I'll kind of reflect on, on having listened to, to all of the episodes of your, your podcast. Um, I'd say that the most common theme in all of them thus far has been making the weight. Um, there's been a heavy um, discussion on, on weight making. And I think that's still a sign of how far behind boxing is in terms of performance. There's still so much of a focus on making the weight that people aren't really looking at, well, where is the performance benefits? We're not measuring the performance benefits. We're not saying, well, how as a nutritionist, did you improve the performance? Did you improve the performance just because they lost weight and it was a byproduct of that? Um, which to me is the wrong way of looking at it. The weight should be lost as a byproduct of improving performance. So my philosophy is, is that if we have a fighter who comes into camp and the, own, the, the sole focus has to be um, on making the weight and that you're not really, you're, that you're then very limited to performance improvements throughout camp, 
um, that's not the type of fighter I want to work with long term for a start and that there's got to be some serious conversations about that. So, yeah, I think these are performance athletes. I think we're the, the, the sporting or the sports science community needs to accept that we're all pretty good at getting these guys to make weight or those of us that have got a good scientific background. We all know how to get these guys to make weight. We all know how to, what variables we manipulate in the last week. But let's start showing how we can improve performance of these fighters. Let's really get them buying into nutritionists. Let's really get them buying into sports science. Because at the moment, I mean, I, I know myself, but, but generally a client will come to me and the first thing they want to talk about is their weight. Um, and I'm like, if that's the only thing you're coming to me for, does you need to go and find someone else because that's just not going to interest me at all. And I think the sports science community has got a lot of work to do in terms of showing how we can improve performance. We can talk about supplements like creatine, betralanine, you know, beetroot juice, all of these kind of things. But we really need to get these fights to buy into how we can build the strategies to improve the performance, how we understand the demands of their sport, how we can work with their coaches um, to improve them as an athlete. So on the night, they've not just made weight and ballooned back up, but they've gone in that ring and they are the fittest, the strongest, the best recovery, and they've, they're given all the tools they need to. It isn't just a well-made weight and, and I'm better fired. Because we do know that the, the supreme athletes, like the ones that really push everything into it, like your Lomachenkos and your Mayweathers, they're the ones that, are, you know, that's what I want every fighter that I work with to, to aspire to be, to, to have the dream of being not just the, the, the one that makes weight, but the one that wins because they've got the best, best athletic base, the fitter, the stronger, the more powerful. So that's kind of my philosophy on what I'm looking for with, with a fighter. So that when a fighter comes and they want to work with you or they want your support for the year or for a camp, what are you looking for? What qualities are you kind of looking for in them um, before you start working with them? Um, I want them to be aware, aware of the fact that there's usually a lot of hard work to do, um, that I'm driven by data. They've got to buy into more than just making the weight. Um, I want to feel like that they can trust me and I can trust them. Um, you know, I want to be want them to know that I've got the best interests at heart because ultimately I, I don't just do this for because it's just my job. I do this because I'm incredibly passionate about working with with winners. I enjoy being around people who are um, who are going to sit on the end of the ring after a sparring session with a towel over their head and you know they've given it given it absolutely everything. And I guess like although I may just it may just look like I write plans, um, I do a lot more than that. And I want them to know that I gave them absolutely everything and that. You know, I sacrificed as well as they did. And that ultimately, that's my expectations of them, that they're always honest, that there's a level of respect and that we're there to win and we know what it takes to win. It's almost like you're matching their passion and their desire with what you do. You're a professional and you're passionate and dedicated to what you do um, just as much as they are. It's, it's not you're sort of supporting them, but you're not passionate. You, you want to sort of work to the same standards that, that they're going to work towards. Um, yeah, I think they, they do enjoy that as well. Like... Um, I think the, the guys that I work with that I've done really well with would, would give me a glowing reference to, to that I go above, above, and, above and beyond what's what's kind of expected. You know, if they sit there and they say, that, you know, if a client says, I just want a nutrition plan, there's a hundred questions they're going to get back from me for that. You know, like, well, what's your training? What's your recovery? What's your resting heart rate? What's your heart rate recovery like between this session, this session, this session? What's your sweat rate like? What's your, um, you know, we can go on and on. So, yeah, yeah, they think, probably wish they hadn't have messaged you that. <laughs> <laughs> again i think you know sometimes you can collect data for data's sake and that's something i'm very conscious of 
Um, but ultimately, we have to show these fighters that if we're collecting this data, why we're collecting it and how we're using it and what the, the benefit of advice to them. Um, and so that's what I expect when a client sits down in front of me, that they're not just going to say, well, just send me my macros over. You know, I also want to know that they've got a coach that I can work with, um, a coach who's going to understand that I've got, um, you know, a, well over a decade of experience at working at the highest level now. Um, that whilst, again, another thing for the, for the community, scientific community is we all go on about evidence-based practice, but if your only evidence is what's been published in a book or on a paper, mm. you're going to get left behind. Fighters do want that cutting edge. They want the, they want boundaries to be pushed. They want the constant going to be pushing themselves. And I want to work with a coach who understands that as well. Um, that can go, well, here's all the data that you've got, here's what's been published, yours hasn't been published, and this is why you're doing this. So, so yeah, I want an open-minded coach who, as well who, who understands the benefits and improving a fighter's overall athletic performance and, and recovery. Yeah, something that I've become a bit big on recently as well is trying to work uh, as part of that multidisciplinary team um, and working with the coach and, and they've got the same vision and they see the benefit. Um, and I don't need to explain perhaps the benefits of certain methods being used. I just work on the nutrition yeah. and the end result will be from me or the S&C coach or whoever that the, the fighter in sparring or in the, in the ring will be fitter, faster, can go longer, um, fatigue less. And so your actions speak instead of you, you know, but it's so important, like you said, to make sure that you're aligning not only with a fighter that you, that matches your values and you want to work with, but, but the coach as well. That's, that's such an interesting point. Yeah. Um, let's talk then about, let's dive straight into talking about the MTK performance center, which you, which you work out alongside Ben Davis and David. Um, yeah. How's it, how's the process working there and how's it been setting that up and what was the idea behind that? Um, well, I can, it, it's a kind of a, a coming together really. So, um, Eight years ago, nine years ago now, I sat on a flight coming back from Thirty Ventura after a training camp with a bunch of boxers and um, started reflecting on all the things that went well, as probably all do as practitioners. What going, what's going well? What can I improve upon? And I started to map out this um, Ivan Drago type project where boxers bought into the whole scientific side of things and we could run all the tests and it would be a real focal point and and I kind of postulate that, you know, maybe boxing would be an easier sport for athletes to move over to than, than other sports and to be competitive. Um, and I kind of parked that, but always kind of worked on it as new science came out. Kind of generalised the, the idea with, uh, had a general discussion with Ben and given the, the gist of what it was when we were working with, uh, when I was working with him for Tyson Fury's first Wilder fight. And um he'd had this idea of setting up his own gym and you know he he'd been to the ufc performance institute out in the states um and we had a discussion last year and he's like i've got a unit do you do you want to come down and have a look um we were in the midst of um obviously on and off with lockdown so as soon as lockdown finished i went down had a look um had a chat with him about what my vision would be and what i'd like to be able to deliver we you know had a discussion said like it's not like um it's not going to be a click your fingers and it's done type thing. It's a long-term project. You know, we're effectively going to try and change the sport, but Ben's setting up a great space down there. Um, and I'm just, I'm there to support him along the way. Um, whether that be picking up the nutrition for the fighters, whether that be advising on the overall sports science and the strength of conditioning or the recovery. Um, but due to everything that's gone on, it's obviously takes a little bit longer with getting planning permission and, and being able to just have a full run at getting the unit fit out, but it will be an unbelievable space down there. 
Um, you know, he's got some top, top fighters already coming down there. Some big names to come in as well once it's open. But currently, obviously, Josh Taylor, who will, um, you know, he'll be um, the the number one at 140. And then um, uh, from from what I'm hearing or reading last night, um, Tiafimo Lopez wants a pop. And, and I think Josh will take him out at 135 or at 140. He could do 135. Or Lopez can move up and try and take his belts at 140. And then I think Josh moves up to 147 with the support of the performance centre. He's in the best hands. Um, you've then got exciting guys like Shabazz Masood, who, who you know, is a, a bit of a stall on his career. But um, he's once he gets once he gets let off let off the leash, he'll be an absolute beast at super bantamweight, and um, I expect that he'll win world titles within a couple of years. And then obviously you've got Lee McGregor, who could probably fight at five different weights, um, the big, 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 big bantamweight, um, and he's adamant that with a full camp he could probably do super fly, <laughs> um, but he would be a beast at lightweight, whether as well as he develops, he's still only young. Um, and you've got other guys like Leo and Lee Wood who fight for a, a world title. He's an, an unbelievable athlete um, and, and more and more names, names to come. So he's building a real stable of elite fighters and, and setting some new standards in boxing, which I think is where the sport's going to ultimately have to go. I think if you're not in part of a performance centre in five years, then you're just not going to get close to winning a world title. Yeah, and it's like you said about the snowball effect at the start. I, I imagine that guys will be coming and down and, and sparring at the relative different weights um and the guys that are that are training there every day will you know they'll have sparring partners which will come in and they'll be sparring and, and seeing how good the performance center is and seeing the quality which is there and think that i want a piece of this and yeah i'm yeah. trying to look into at least sort of adopting some of the methods which they see or which they know are being yes. implemented there um yeah. so with the with the methods which all the stuff which is available at the performance center and you spoke about recovery strategies and the importance of data and making nutrition individualized to each fighter. What sort of tests or, or methods are you, are you implementing or running up at the, up at the center? Uh, I mean, I can't give too much away at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but um, obviously there's things that put out there. So uh, using things like um, the Panoe for RMR testing, ramp testing, uh, looking at um, substrate utilization. Um, We've got a, a really great little gym um, with some amazing Kaiser equipment in there, which is really leading um, leading stuff to, to monitor athlete performance and recovery and fatigue. Um, VBT, obviously, we're using quite a bit of that down there. Um, and then we'll look into your more kind of nuanced elements of, of having a team down there. And obviously, you know, peak performance isn't just about like the year your cryotherapy but having that on hand is, is 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 always good to have um but being able to get a full 360 of your athlete um and, and monitor absolutely every element and i guess this is another thing that i think if, if practitioners are listening to this um i find it um what's a good way of putting it i'll not be diplomatic i find it quite poor that more sports scientists aren't actually going along to boxing sessions i know strength and conditioning coaches who I've worked with so many boxers, but don't even go and see the, the, the sparring sessions or the boxing sessions aren't in touch with the, the coach. I think the biggest asset for the MTK Performance Center will be the fact that um, 
there's Ben, there's Lee Wiley, the strategist, um, there's me on hand, um, there's assistant coaches. It's having a team to look at all your athletes and be there and be the eyes, recording sessions, monitoring heart rate, not just the fact of having a heart rate monitor on and putting a post on Instagram about but having a heart rate monitor and knowing why they're actually using that. So we can track and monitor all the variables of, of the fight. So again, you can have all the cryotherapy and the physio on site and what have you, but the, the, the real benefit is having a really smart team around you that, that know how to make the best decision and um, aren't forcing you to make reactive decisions, but be more responsive. So they're probably the, the best elements. But some of the testing that we'll do, which we'll have seen, will be like the RMR, the RAM testing, body composition using a Fit 3D scanner, as well as um, the body metrics. Um, and then having all the, the nice little toys like what bikes, the curves, the, 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 the Kaiser equipment and VBT so we can really push. Um, so we really know when to push the athletes and, and, and train smart, not just train hard. Which is a common issue, which is the scene in combat sports overtraining um, and not almost having the training sessions which have intent as in just turning up to a gym or turning up. I always think like there's that magic number, David, of oh, I'm going on a 10K run. I'm going yeah. on a 5k run and they, the, the boxers will stick a number on it and it's mm. almost like they don't really know why but 10k has seemed to be a there seemed to be a sticking number for, for fighters yeah I, I guess um the 10k equates to the 60 minute steady run doesn't it and the 5k is a steady half an hour 25 minute run that they, they go for but and again something that we saw or that i've seen a lot with the testing that i've done over the years um whether it be with my own kit or with with um, labs and other practitioners is um uh, Boxers are incredibly guilty of, of thinking that they're working hard, but really working just in that messy middle where they're not really, there's no adaptations occurring. They can just keep ch chugging away. Um, and then that makes the coming into camp and the harder work that they've got to do that little bit more difficult. And again, having a team around you um, that understand that and can program when you're out of camp um, is, is where where the, I think we feel that the percentages will be will be made. So if a, camp, a fighter's coming into camp and they're already prepped for that, they're, they're already pretty much at VO2 peak when they come in and we're not having to work on that side of things. If the recovery is generally good and the weight is within range, then we can just focus on pushing them at a hard, high, smart rate to do the work and learn the technical, but they, do, they need to, to win that fight. How much are you kind of supporting fighters outside of outside of fight camps? Then is it uh, is it more intense or is it like um, a kind of thing? I think generally, like this year has been quite difficult. But the vision is that you know we'll we'll have metrics in place. Um, you know, I, mean, I guess Josh Taylor's a key example. He's been um, his last fight was at the end of September. It's been a, a check-in. His weight is where it should be. He's had weeks where he's not really eating too great, but he's done a bit of training. Josh likes to work hard. He really likes to be working in that upper 90% plus of his max. Um, so sometimes we just have to put the brakes on him and you know, we, we need to talk to him about um, different thresholds and, and why they can become limiting factors. Um, so he doesn't leave as much to do in terms of his athleticism and his weight coming into camp is a lot more for technical stuff. So he's an example of where we don't need to do too much out of camp because he's he's been an athlete for, for, for 15, 20 years. You know, he knows he's gone through the GB setup. So he, he knows how important it is not to balloon up in weight. And we, we know where we're going to start his weight cut from. We know where he should be in camp. So it's out of camp. It's like 
dropping in with a message, it's having a video call once a week, it's having a nudge with his training, it's saying just put your heart rate monitor on for a couple of sessions so we can see where your heart rate is, checking his resting heart rate, it's just, it's things like that that we will sometimes do. Um, but whereas with other fighters who may come in and they're quite poor with, um, with what they do between camps if they get really fat um, and really deconditioned, then yeah, we'll, we, we intend to, to to make sure that that doesn't happen by being more more onto them. That whether that means calling them into camp sooner, um, whether that means um, calling them back into camp for weeks on week off, so they go home for a week in camp for a week. Then you know it's about making making an individualised system really. So we don't want to have well, these are the rules, but you know if you if you care about your fighters, then you're going to be checking on them anyway. If you don't, then you're probably not. Yeah, the heart rate monitor is an interesting one, David, because like you said there about people having them on having them on in pictures on an Instagram and, and posting that they've got a delivery of a new polar heart rate monitor. Yeah. Um, what's, what would, what would you say are kind of like the dangers of that and, and how should fighters be using them properly? He talks about like that, the VO2 max and getting the heart rate up and being in that floating zone where they're not really in fat burning or fat oxidation and they're not really at their peak fitness and they're just sort of floating. What, what's, how could a heart rate monitor be useful for, for a boxer when used properly? So we will look, well, I will look initially at the beginning of camp, looking at heart rate recovery. Um, obviously, after running some tests, we'll look at um, how they're using certain fuels like carbs and fats during their sessions and how that compares to previous data, but also compares to all of the data sets that I've got from, from before, from different fighters. Um, and we'll start and use the, the heart rate monitor. I mean, a lot of people want to wear it for sparring. I'm not really a fan of that because, you know, it's it's not a comfortable thing to wear as such. And you're not really going to use that data. We, both, we, all, we all know that certain things will happen in sparring that we'll never be able to replicate due to stress and stress hormones. Um, so we'll use it for programming the conditioning work, making sure that heart rate recovery um is something that we discussed each week because the stress increases on the fire, how the how the load increases on them, um, and just general over, overall conditioning sessions as well for programming the conditioning. Where do we want them to be working? What adaptations are we expecting from those sessions? So not just going in and doing um, a, a generic, I don't know, hit, hit, hit type session, but going in and doing it with a bit more intent and a bit more um, personalization too. Yeah, and then the testing obviously helps you set those relative zones specifically. Yeah with the individual so they know exactly what kind of numbers that which they need to be hitting with that as well yeah and what the testing always also does is it gives the team um a, ref a set of numbers set of data to reflect upon um so we, we can discuss that going further into camp and as we can start and observe that they may be getting a little bit more fatigued and again it's okay having the numbers but sometimes the, the best metric is coming from the, the fire themselves if they tell you how they're feeling if they've not slept well if if they're a little bit stressed because they've got you know kids woman issues whatever um fight dates getting moved around like sometimes that's the best data so it's it's understanding that whilst the heart rate monitor is, is good and, and can provide some really solid data, um, it's just part of the puzzle, really, of the individual. Sometimes a conversation can be a pretty valuable tool, right? <laughs> Almost. Exactly, yeah. What it does, though, for, for the, the team has been just to have good conversation starters. Like, we've noticed this about the heart rate data. We did this session before, and this is what we found, and this is what we're seeing now. Is it a good trigger for a conversation? Do we need to change and adjust the load? Do we need to monitor the recovery? Are, are they sleeping okay? Is, are we, have we got them on too much of a restricted nutrition plan? 
you know what strategies can we now utilize based on this data it's just another one metric but it can be you know it can be a valuable metric but the, the, i ask all of the fighters that i meet um the same question and i say like oh do you wear a heart rate monitor and they say yeah like who's analyzing that data and, and what what are they doing with that and if they say well and the, well it's not if it's usually they're saying nobody um nobody's analyzing that data and i'm like well, well are you looking at that data what does that data mean to you and if they're just saying well it's just showing me how much time i'm spending in the red i'm like well it's a lot more useful than that it's like you know a hammer can be used to knock in a nail or knock a house down depending on how you're going to use it the thing is you have to assess how you're using it and is it really working for you um just by doing those runs by doing that technical session we know where your heart rate is going to be but how are we using that data and if i can have a conversation with ben to say this is what i'm seeing from the data or this is what me and one of the other guys are say seeing from the data go easy or this guy can be pushed a bit more you can get more out of those those sessions and if the fighters you know not feeling like they're being held back then yeah well, again it's where we can keep improving so it's just it's, an, it's another metric that we try and use and use smart rather than just it's there and it is what it is and do you use any other kind of tools? I mean, Chris Bidham Smith in the last episode spoke about using a using a whoop um, monitor to track sleep and stuff. Have you have you used or do you use any any other stuff apart from heart rate monitors to to track things like like sleep? Yes. It <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> won't be revealed um, on this podcast episode, folks. <laughs> so um, I think. Um, I mean, yeah, we, yeah, I do. I use certain things um, to monitor the, the the sleep quality and recovery, and uh, some some fighters buy buy into it, some don't. Um, and again, it's what's what's make them comfortable. But diagnostics as well, so diagnosing sleep, and that can come from either some sort of testing which we can use, um, or it can come from just having a general conversation mm. with the fight. But sleep is is a huge thing, and I'm trying to teach the the fighters how important um, the, the sleep is and how instagram and social media and snapchat and uh, and fifa um all has an impact on that and how it impacts the performances is something that you know you you're always going to be fighting against uh, in the in the world that we currently live in so these um, these are kind of elite fighters like josh taylor which you kind of look after or you're part of the team what's it it'd be cool for the other fighters listening to this to get an insight into what it takes to kind of be an elite fighter at that level and what kind of mindset that you need to have such as like being away from family and having that team around you what sort of stuff have you seen let's use josh as an example what have you seen all the sacrifices that he's made or what what's the mindset that an elite fighter like that needs to have and the qualities um consistency i mean i know it's such a cliche but it is it's consistency it's if you're blowing up between fights um like josh comes into camp with five kilos to lose um and if you're coming into fights and i think there's this whole notion at the moment and again i know i'm kind of swerving your question just a little bit but i'll come back to it but there's a whole notion of like i'm big at the weight but Again, something that I will challenge a fighter. I was like, are you big at the weight? Or are you just shit at the weight? Because most fighters who claim to be big at the weight are just really shit. It's like, well, would you be so big at the weight if you weren't eating so much crap between fights? If you were cheating on your diet plan, if you were not being honest with your nutrition, would you be much better at the weight or would you still be big at the weight? And nine times out of 10, I've found that, that fighters are just generally quite shit at the weight and they use being big at the weight as an excuse. Um, Josh, as I say, comes in at, with, with five, five and a half kilos to lose. Um, but he's been consistent, even when he's not 
in camp he's training he he runs hard he he does heavy bag work at a high intense level um he's just got the mindset but also i think what i what i do know is about some of the top top fighters is they've got a real fear of losing and that fear of losing is what they harness to to really push them on um they're not complacent uh, i think complacency in the fight game is something that will get you beat um you really have to believe you're the best um to, to, to get to the levels of, of like Josh Taylor and, and obviously and being around Tyson Fury, like that guy genuinely believes he's the best fighter of, of, of the generation. And having watched him sparring and training, I, I go, honestly, he's up there, you know. But he also has the fear of losing. And, and I think that's what got him through the Wilder camp. He, he really had to train hard for that. Um, he had to diet hard still for that to, to get down to a weight where his coach wanted him at. Um, so it, it's that mindset of, 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 of utilising the fear of losing to, to keep pushing you on, to be consistent, to turn up every day, to do every session. Um, but also as well, like um, having the right team around you, that's what gets you to be a champion, especially in today's game. Boxing's moving forward. Um, to, to be a champion, it's going to be no good that you just do a bit of pad work, a bit of footwork and a bit of sparring. You're going to have to need to be a lot smarter than that. And again, to, to come back, um, the blueprint is already written. Um, if you're not doing what Lomachenko was doing in his last few fights or his last decade of, of, of um, training, you're probably going to get left behind very, very quickly. Five years' time, the sport's going to look very different, I think. Um, so, yes, yeah, the, there isn't anything that I could say, or oh, you must do this one thing, but they're just characteristics, as with any sport, discipline and consistency, fear of losing or not being the best and not realising your potential. I think if you stuck motivation on a board and you, and you had it as, as one of the main ones, I think fear of failure or fear of losing would be most people's in pretty much any walk of life, business or, or family. Fear of failure is a massive motivator. So I can completely sort of understand that. And I, I always say to fighters, what's, what's your why? And try and really dig deep into that is, yeah. what is your why? And if they say, you know, I want to do it for my kids or I want to do this, I want to do that. Um, you have to really kind of pinpoint that and, and use that as your motivation. Um, yeah, the five, the five whys is usually a good strategy to work on with boxers. You really get, you get the honest answer after the five whys. If you're pushing through the five why process, you usually get the, the, the real gritty answer. Yeah. Um, or you'll, you'll get a quick jab telling you to shut up. <laughs> yeah, so you worked, you said a decade, over a decade in, in nutritional, nutritional combat sports. Mm. What are kind of like the biggest challenges which you faced working in the, in the sport in that time? Obviously, you have to uh, sorry, Jack. The first one would was be getting paid. It's a difficult sport <laughs> to get paid. Um, yeah, you, you, you'll the amount of times I, I mean, I think I'm probably a, a bit fortunate now in that I don't have to do the, the free work to to get my brand and name out there. It's probably a different world at the moment to what it was when I started. Um, not that I'm like that ancient, but you know. Um, <laughs> So I think, yeah, getting paid is a difficult one. You can't, you can only take on so many freebies. Uh, and I still do work with clients for free, as in um, I'll buy into the ones who tell me they're going to win a world title. I'll go, I want to go along for that journey. And they'll, I always believe that at the right time I'll get paid um, when they, when they, when they can afford it. Um, the biggest challenges are um, moving the focus away from just making the weight. Um, if your focus is on just making the weight and, I'd probably have started a Weight Watchers alternative for fighters. Um, 
Weight Watchers Club. Um, so again, shifting the focus away from um, from just making weight and instilling just how important nutrition can be. You know that the it, it's not the I've made the weight so easy type comments that give me the buzz. It, it's the that session felt so much easier or I never felt as fit as this, or I feel so strong and powerful. And it's, that's like four weeks out. And then, you know, you've got a fit fueled fighter who's ready to make weight. And it's like when they're ignoring what the, the scales say, because you've removed that stress from them. You go, yeah, you've got eight kilos to lose nine, eight weeks to go. We're fine. We're going to easy. We're going to cruise into weight. Um, no problem. It's they're the challenges, I think. So, you know, when you meet a new fighter, they're all still hung up on on making the weight. And that's why I think the sports science has got to kind of go, look, we know how much weight you can drop off you. We, we learn about your body through camp, so we can tailor that towards the end. We're all pretty using, pretty much using the same strategies. No one's coming up with any hoodoo magic, hoodoo magic, yeah. should I say. No, we're not Houdini. We're not magicians. We're just good scientists. And what separates us is how we implement the science and the strategies that we use and how much attention we can pay to you. Um, so shifting the focus away from what they say, just making the weight to actually being a performance athlete and getting in there and winning. Yeah, performance is, is the biggest one and trying to change that, trying to change that mindset and culture over time is is a huge challenge. But I think I've sort of answered it there is that it just takes being consistent. It takes time and developing and knowing that fighter and, and yeah. being around them and watching them spar and being part of the team and, and just looking at it from a long-term viewpoint as opposed to a short-term one of, you know, we're going to get to know you over a long period of time. You're going to have a long career. Let's kind of get rid of the whole let's make weight and let's start thinking about how you're going to perform to win a world title. Um, so just to kind of wrap things up there, we've been talking for, for quite a while now. What's, what's kind of like your plans for uh, 2021? Obviously it's a bit of a strange year no fights happen at the moment. It's January and British Boxing and Border Control said no fights are happening. What, what's your plans or prospective plans moving forward for 2021? Well, I think we'll get back to some sort of normality with elite sports. Um, so I'm, I'm hopeful that um, Josh will be out in a few months um, against Ramirez to to unify all the titles at, at the light, um, light welterweight division. So I think that's a big plan be part of that. Um, keep working with young, hungry, ambitious fighters who value what sports sciences and, and, and performance nutrition can do for them. Um, I have a, a little meal prep company called Nourish Smart, which is um, utilizing a lot of the um, strategies that I've developed for, for working with fighters who need to drop weight, but also perform aimed more at your, your general public who want to lose some weight. So that's a delivered meal service. Um, that'll probably launch, I mean, dependent, lockdown dependent, um, March, April time. It's been kept getting put back. Um, sitting alongside that is my own smart supplement range. So just some of the supplements that I believe in and, I think the general public can benefit from and, and a few other um, nice little additions too. Um, go on holiday at some point would be really nice this year. Be nice, wouldn't um, it? Yeah, I've missed traveling. I did a couple of years of, of traveling around, um, kind of managing fight camps from a beach um, whilst on my laptop. That was quite nice. Um, so it'd be nice to get on holiday. Um, and just seeing the MTK Performance Center grow and, and, and launch and develop into to something what's what's going to be huge for not the, not just itself but for the sport of boxing too um and keep fit and healthy that's probably the, the, 
the number one as well for me. Yeah, it's probably top of the list. Keep keep positive, keep happy, and yeah. not take things too seriously, and just uh, enjoy the process. Well, David, thanks so much for giving up your time uh, to come on and chat to me today. This is a really insightful episode. I'm sure a lot of fighters take a lot of value from that, and you might get a few more, a few more maybe unwanted follows on social media if you're still on there. So, apologies for that. No worries. Thank you.